0: What we've got here is failure to communicate.
1: From sunny Southern California, we bring you Meet Bridget, a podcast for building confident communication and female badassery. We spotlight women who have bridged the gaps in their lives by building strong relationships and speaking their teenage dreams into reality.
2: Like what, what gives us the courage? Your brain will answer whatever question you ask it.
0: Welcome back to Meet Bridget. Today, we have Nicole Doroco here with us. Nicole is a fashion industry legend. Nicole established her sexy and curve-conscious bikini brand, Nicolita Swimwear, in 2003. Drawing inspiration from her family's cultural Cuban roots, Nicolita's bikinis feature Cuban-style bottoms, which are designed with more coverage on the hips, with a heart-shaped backside, and no-pinch-fit elastic. The result is a unique blend of modern silhouettes with vintage 1940s Cuban glamour.
1: Nicole's talent and entrepreneurial passion has led to countless magazine articles and television appearances, including the season two premiere of Billion Dollar Buyer. Nicole also produced an Emmy-nominated documentary called Passport Cuba, documenting the journey of reuniting her parents with their homeland and family after 49 years. But she didn't stop there. Nicole launched invaluable mentorship services through Fashion Biz Mentor and hosts a podcast called Fast Track Your Fashion Brand, where she gives you all the juicy tips and insights to do just that. More recently, she's come out with a number of incredible online courses, including her digital fashion CEO series, the Fast Track Fashion Accelerator, and the sold out launch formula program. Nicole derocco is a dynamo entrepreneur, wife, mama, and friend. So we're so invited to invite you to meet Nicole DeRocco.
2: Hi. Yeah. Nicole. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Wow. I love the intro. <laughs> <I'm> blushing. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's crazy when you hear it, right? So yeah. I kind of feel like I'm in this new chapter of my life because we we launched uh, Fashion Biz Mentor. I've been mentoring up and coming fashionpreneurs and people just with an idea to launch for, gosh, I'd say like probably eight to 10 years, but like not anything formula, formula, uh, formally. So just kind of hearing that, even just hearing that and I know what we're going to get into today. It just, um, yeah, it's, it's a proud moment, I guess, just to think I did accomplish a lot of stuff.
0: (laughs) You forget. It's really exciting for us to catalog all of your, um, you know, wins and all of your successes. And it, it's going to be really fun to take it back to the beginning and and see your trajectory as a female badass entrepreneur. I'm, we're really excited to share it with everyone. Yeah,
1: let's do this. Yeah. So we love to start with your childhood years. Any like really formative
2: experiences? What you were like as a little girl? I was definitely very outgoing as a little girl. I mean, I I have vivid memories of me doing um the talent show to uh Gloria Stefans like conga song. I mean, just you know, I was like in a parade in Pasadena, just like that kind of like that outgoing personality um always just in that creative space. I never thought about fashion design. So, for anyone listening right now thinking, "Oh, she wanted to be a fashion designer all her life." That was that didn't come till college. So, it's pretty crazy, but there was something there that, if I was to pinpoint it, it was just that, like a little fearless, a little outgoing. Um, definitely, I still had my vulnerabilities. Um, you know, I was of one of the minority, I'd say, growing up Hispanic in Orange County, California, and I think that too was a discovery of like identity. Um, especially as like a little child, like thinking, why is everyone else blonde hair, blue eyes? Why am I tan and, you know, dark skin? Why is it my family speaks Spanish? (laughs) Why does like no one else speak Spanish? Um, I had, there's different cultures and stuff, but I think that became really apparent to me, like in sixth grade, like that identity of like, oh wait, I'm not the same like everyone else. Like, so that was a very interesting moment that even just thinking about it before this interview, I'm like that, that I'd say was kind of that moment where those insecurities as a kid started to show up for me. And it's so funny that you,
1: you say that because I'm sitting here listening to you and thinking about like those moments when we're in like the sixth grade, seventh grade, it's like all the things that make us different make us feel insecure. Mm -hmm. But then later on in life, when you're really figuring out like your path and you know, what makes you successful and interesting and lovable, it's those same things that made you different so many times, right? Can you tell us a little bit about um, your parents and, and family?
2: Yeah. So my, both my parents were born in Cuba my mom came when she was 13. They had sent her right when Fidel take o- took over like the revolution. They realized um, it wasn't safe for children to be there. So they sent her to a Catholic boarding school in Texas, her and her cousin. And they just really, she honestly thought, okay, my, my mom says I'm going to see her in three weeks. It turned out to be years later. I think she ended up doing high school through there and then ended up reuniting with her parents in California And the same went for my dad. He, They said, okay, go see your cousins in Illinois. It was like the dead of winter. This happened, you know, 1959 in December. And all of a sudden, he was 18 years old. He met up with his cousins there. He lived there. And I think they were separated for almost 10 years. So I can't even imagine, right? Like in your teen years, preteen years to that world that was, you know, was your reality soon got disrupted because of government and the politics and then you went from you know a lavish lifestyle to kind of starting over again and really on your own yeah on your own away from your parents i mean i couldn't even as a mom right now i couldn't even think about like being away from my child for that long but you know it was just really serious you know communism is not Good. (laughs) We're gonna even get into that, but it was scary for them because they were threatening to take your children. Communism. Children are property of the state. Like, like, yeah. I would, I would have, I would have had my child get on a plane, anyways. Yeah. So, so yeah. I mean, I, I'd say like my parents. Like, I mean, I look to them for so much inspiration because they came here. They, I think, they did know a little bit of English, but they both got their masters. I think. yeah, both my parents got their master's degree. They became, you know, successful. My mom was a big teacher um in Santa Ana Unified District for 40 years, something like that. And just everything she accomplished with knowing that you had to start over, I think is like really inspiring to me to see what they've done.
0: Yeah, it's that's incredible. So what how did your parents meet? <laughs> they
2: met at a Brazilian carnival at UCLA randomly. They're friends. So after they both had graduated, I don't know how it happened, but the, they both kind of ended up in like LA area. Like my mom was in Santa Monica, and her friends were going to UCLA, and they all went to some party. And then I think they met at some type of like maybe a fraternity house party or, <laughs> or, or, or like a cute, uh, yeah, Brazilian festival. So. But the here's the crazy part. Here is the crazy part. So they met, right? They both left when they were younger, ended up meeting in California at this party. But both of my grandmothers come to find out they were in the same kindergarten class in Cuba.
0: Oh my gosh! What a small world! And when
2: they uh, they were born in Olguin, which is on one complete opposite side of the of Cuba, and then they ended up in Havana. But they were also like. I think when, when we went back to film the documentary, I think we found that they were like 16 blocks away from each other, even in Havana. So I honestly believe that if it say the revolution never happened, say, you know, it was still like Castro didn't take over. I still believe that my parents would have still met.
0: They would have found each other. Oh, wow. Like
2: a destiny type of thing. Yeah. Oh yeah. Do you have, do you have
1: siblings or is it, are you an only child? Yeah. I have an older sister.
2: We're five and a half years
1: apart, yeah. Okay. When you were when you were younger and now were you guys close or
2: yeah, I mean it's different when you have a family and kids, but uh, we both live within like 20 minutes from each other. So and my parents bought our the house next door to us, literally. We wow. share a fence, which is totally another crazy story. But um, <laughs> but yeah, like when we did the documentary, you know, it was really important for both my sister and I. We both felt that void right? So you grow up knowing that you're Hispanic and you're of a culture. And our only connection was every summer we'd go to Florida and we meet all of our Cuban cousins and we have the Cuban food and everyone spoke Spanish. And you felt all of a sudden like included. You felt, oh, okay, this is the vibe, right? When everyone's kind of doing all the things that, you know, is, isn't feel so different. So that was the contrast for me as a kid As I then fly back after summer And I'd be back to that, just that Hispanic, you know, family vibe that there's so many Cubans and Hispanics in Florida that you just, I didn't get that here. So that, that was that moment where I'm like, okay, something, I I don't, I don't get it. And the fact that we are never able to go back and my parents never wanted us to go back to Cuba too, because they felt if you go to Cuba, you are supporting communism, like that money, which is true. Like you can't really get around it. You can stay with people at their homes and pay them directly. But the big portion of tourism there, it just feeds into the communist pocket. So um, my sister and I both went with my parents and it was like this huge void that we felt like I need to touch Cuba. All I've heard are stories. I know you went back to India, right, Asha?
1: I did. Yeah. And um, I was uh lists or reading one of your your interviews about doing the documentary and um and actually i think andrew told me about it a little bit but um i when i went back to india with my mom we went back to the street where she grew up and it was completely different like the house where she lived wasn't even there anymore but like a temple that she used to go to was there and we walked in and my mom's face just like seeing those memories and emotions like flood back to her I cried. I was like, this is the one of the most amazing things that I've ever experienced. You know, seeing my mom back, you know, where she was as a child uh, was such a such a privilege. But I can only imagine what's like, like in a place where you don't even have the option of returning.
2: Because, I mean, your childhood like shapes so much of who you are. It's right. It's either the story that you empower or the story that you disempower yourself with. And when I took my parents back to their houses and stuff, it was like, my dad looked like a kid again,
1: mm-hmm.
2: like that spark. The wow! I'm oh like, I can't believe we're here. Like, pinch me. Like all of those things that your child is just so vivid. Yes, so I can only imagine. And you're like watching your parents kind of relive that moment. That's pretty priceless. So, wow.
0: Yeah, I mean, you think about how poignant memories are now, and how crazy. Like, I moved a lot as a child. I'm I'm also first generation American, and Um, I still so vividly remember like my first childhood home, but because, you know, life happens so quickly and so many things happen, it like fits into this story of who you are and it's not until you return to it that your body like physically remembers this is something that happened and this is part of my own personal history. So that had to have been very, very special.
2: Yeah, I mean, now and then I shared the video with, with Capri so she now has all these questions about communism and i'm like oh boy that's another conversation but you know I, I love that she's able to see it and she's so worried about the horses in cuba because she's obsessed yeah capri is nicole's adorable young how, how old is she now he's seven
1: seven she, yeah but yeah that's another thing that i'd love for us to kind of touch on throughout the interview is um you know having gone through of course your childhood teen years you're, you know, everything that you've accomplished and now being a mother of a, of a young woman, like how that's um, informed your perspective and the way you look back on things too.
2: I feel so responsible for shaping her belief system. I mean, I, like I'd say the last six or seven years, I kind of really got into like self-development learning about like, you know, I went to Tony Robbins, I walked on fire, like, you know, I've been to so many like, kind of quote, unquote, like motivational speakers, but people that just really captured my attention of um even just like creating manifest, you know, manifesting, what is that? What is what is all these laws of the universe? Like, is this fake? Or is this re- like, I don't know, I was not kind of on a quest, to, like to out of curiosity, because I know I've manifested things in my life, I didn't know what I was doing to be honest with you, but it was really harnessing the power of like, you want something so bad that you put the intention out there, you will get it, but you have to be careful with how you ask for it. I think that if anything, if people listening right now, your listeners are like, oh my God, I really want to be this, or I really want to do this with my career. Like you have the capability to do anything, right? The world is your oyster. And it sounds so like Silly to say that, but it's so true. So, knowing with my daughter, you know, I I'm always trying to reinforce, like, is that what you really want to do? Okay, ask for it very clearly. So, you know, you want a pony. It might not come tomorrow. Okay, the pony. I don't think Dad and I are going to buy you a pony. However, that pony might show up for you in different ways. You know, that pony might show up for you ten years from now when the moment is right for you. But I just, the last seven years has just opened my eyes to the words I say um, how I talk about money, how I talk about my career as a mom and and what I do as a mom and like my limiting stories of, Oh, we can't do that. Or that's too expensive. Or like I am so much more aware because I know how that shaped me as a kid. There was the, Oh, I think my parents just from them leaving all that behind, they still feel that even though they're very successful, it's just, it's beliefs around money and you know, you can pass that on to your children so easily. And, you know, and I've had to do a lot of work with my, my belief around money. Like, am I worth it? Can I charge that much? Can I make that much? Is it bad to have this much money? Is it, what happens when I don't have any money? Does that mean I like, I'm not, if I'm not, or no one cares about me. Like all those things around money, it's such a powerful thing. It's energy. So, You talk about my kids, that is something that I specifically am conscious of every single day because I know that. I'm sure she'll probably say, oh, my mom screwed me up in some way. (laughs) But I want to make sure that with what I know now and how powerful our stories are, it's like, okay, I want to be very, very conscious about how I speak to them about what they are capable of doing, what what I don't want them to do. You know, I want them to be able to just to do whatever they wish they want to do. And not worry about money. Not ha- like the money will come. The money will always come.
1: Yeah, and I think you make such a good point about the power of our words, and even like our our the words we're thinking on a continuous basis. Is that what the way we phrase things matters? And that's a, one of our biggest um values at Bridget is that communication, the way we communicate matters. That how we understand it and intend the words we use matter, and whether we're thinking from Uh, a a mindset of abundance versus a mindset of scarcity can completely change the way things go down for you can you tell us a little bit about so you know that sixth grade time what what was kind of in your head at that age as a as a young girl
2: yeah i would say like that like sixth grade to junior high i mean so much is going on right puberty life friends um you're kind of like at my school, we changed to like a middle school. So that was like a whole new world. Open up new friends, period, like the periods of school, like you have like math, history, like so much was changing. Yeah. And I. It's funny because like clearly I, you know, I was I, I don't know, I, I I go back to being Hispanic because in my head, that's what I thought was making me stand out and different. And the last thing I wanted to do in sixth grade, seventh grade, you know, through high school was be different. Stand out. You know, like it was just like, let's blend in. I don't want, I'm not really a drama filled person. I don't think I really ever was in high school. Um, you know, I was rule follower, I was studious, you know, yeah, I'd sneak out every once in a while, right? But for the most part, even if I did sneak out, it was, you know, I was very cautious like about the whole thing. So I was, I was never in a place where like I was trying to, I was trying to stand out. And I think that to me was, um, it was challenging because for you not to be yourself, for you to cover, you know, hide. not, I want to say hide, but like not show your real personality, feel like you have to kind of hide behind everyone else because, you know, you don't want to be like the center of attention because what if someone calls you out and we didn't even have social media then. So I can't imagine the additional stress and anxiety and pressure that young, young women and, you know, boys have right now with social media. But yeah, it was, it was just that feeling of I want to just fit in. I want to do what everyone else is doing. Like it was, that's kind of where I was at. I'd say
0: it sounds like your identity now is very tied to your family history naturally I mean it's it's huge it's ties into what was happening at the time historically so as it as a young girl in you know 6th 7th grade were you actually aware of that at that time of like what your parents had experienced and were they you know open with you and your sister about how they met what it was like leaving Cuba And the reasons behind that, or, you know, were those things that they hadn't talked to you about yet?
2: It was, I would say it was more about, um, they, I, would say the language around it was more about, like, they were mad about it. And this became a big clue for me because. I kept noticing, you know, it was it was great when we were able to gather with other family members. And it was, you know, I I clearly like they needed that. That like that filled their soul, like they they really needed that connection. Um, but whenever they would talk about it, it was, you know, oh, they took everything away. Oh, like, Mm -hmm. you know, this was bad. And like, so that was I think one of the biggest reasons when I ended up wanting to go back. I'm like, I need, I wanted to help heal my parents. Because I know, like we're talking about how powerful words are, if you carry around that anger for so long, I feel like that energy is spilling into every other part of your life. So it, th- this didn't come apparent to me till like that moment, but I'm like, oh my God, I need to create a new meaning for them of what that means. I need to create a new memory. That, that memory was many, many years ago. I'm not I'm not asking them to forget what happened. But um, that energy, I'd say like spilled on like my sister and I. So it just, you don't even notice it. You don't even notice it. But again, words are powerful. Stories are powerful. And
0: silence is powerful too. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting. I ask just because, you know, at that time, I think we're so hyper aware of everything that's going on with us, even if we're unsure of what it actually means. So I could just see you and your sister, especially you, you described that feeling of wanting to fit in and just feel like, you know, you were in league with your peers, which, you know, is sort of like a farce. We know that now. It's like, you know, everyone's different. Everyone has their own story. But I can imagine just not really having a full understanding of what your parents went through, except for the fact that it made them angry. And that that was something that you were carrying around, you know, probably subconsciously for them. And then also trying to balance, trying to fit in and feel like a normal person.
2: I mean, I think that if anyone, you know, is thinking about going the entrepreneur route or like, you know, wanting to stand out. And this didn't become apparent for me until the moment when we had to write our college essays. And they were like, okay, what am I gonna write about? What am I gonna write about? And then I realized if I did not stand out, this was this was the the pivot for me. If I did not stand out, I'm not gonna get into college. If I am not different and if I'm not doing something different than the like, you know, hundreds of other girls and boys, you know, guys that are in my class that wanna go to the exact same school, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna stand out on paper. And that paper is the, you know, the entrance into that next chapter in your life. And then it became like this search for, okay, I'm going to join the Cuban American club. Like (laughs) I'm going to, you know, go and, um, I think I volunteered with something with like that club, like, you know, and then it was me talking on the essay about being Cuban about, you know, all these other like entrepreneurial things that I was doing at, you know, in college. and. it just opened my eyes to, Oh my God, Nicole, like if I, if I continue the way that I was going and stay in my comfort zone, you know, you're, you're not going to create, you're not going to create momentum. Or you're not going to create greatness in your life. You're going to stay comfortable. Just, it just, it flipped a switch for me. And I, and that was my, that was like the moment of, okay, it's going to be different. I made, I created just a whole new meaning about it. Being different is meaning I have more opportunities. And it just, that whole thing just set me on my way for everything that I approached, everything that happened throughout college, my business, that was kind of like my looking glass through all of this.
1: I think that's such a good point about the college applications and how it can be actually an opportunity to really understand and embrace what does make you different? Because I remember thinking I like that same shocking moment, it's like the way that they phrase them, you know, whatever question they ask, it's really, dim- if you're gonna write a good essay, you gotta be unique. You know, there has to be something about you. And I remember that that moment too. And I remember thinking like, well, I've never had like a crazy hardship. And I think even a lot of young people who have had hardships look at their lives and they don't necessarily value what, what they have uniquely experienced, whatever it is. But it's such an opportunity to take what's different about you and realize that like, oh, actually, this is what's going to make me exceptional, you know, and and make me make a a institution like a university want to have me there. That's actually my valuable thing.
2: Yeah. And to get out of your comfort zone, Mm -hmm. which is so scary. It's so, I mean, even just going to college was like super scary, like the beginning, but just like the growth that, you know, it brings. We all know that right now, but um. So, like just the opportunities, the growth, the people you meet and just continuing. I just kept exploring that. I just kept, well, like leaning yeah. into it. Yeah, totally. totally. How did you choose um, your college and your major? Um, I applied to, let's see, University of Miami, uh, USC and UC Santa Barbara. Those were my schools. I wanted to go to USC. I did not get in when I was a freshman. Um, I got into SC and in university of Miami. So I think I thought, okay, if I go to the university of Miami, here I am, like reemerging into my summers, that whole experience that I had growing up. But I realized like my life would probably take me there. Like my, you know, maybe I find my husband, like, you know, all those things, right. Such so like a big moment. Not, not everyone get, finds their soulmate in college, but you know, that thought crossed my mind but I said, you know what? I, my, my, my heart was set on USC. So I said, let me, I'm going to go to UC Santa Barbara, which is still a great school. Um, I did their economics program and then I'm going to try to transfer. And I had, I was so like focused cause I don't know, I guess, I don't know. My GPA wasn't like 4.0. Like, I guess you have to have like a 4.0 <laughs> or something now to get into USC or I'm um, can't imagine now, but, um, I was so focused. I surrounded myself with, I met this girl at registration. She was, we always had a blast together, but she was so studious. We were like living in the library and we had our little group. So, you know, the people that you surround yourself with your goals become your, like the biggest champions. Like that I think was what helped me get into SC. I think I transferred with like, you know, with honors, I went right into the business school And that I just, I had my eye on the price. I had my eye on, I knew what I wanted to do. Again, if you know what you want, it is, you can get there. You just have to focus and you have to really put yourself in a situation with letting you like, not, not setting yourself up to fail. Like I was, I was studying, I studied my booty off USC. That was really hard. That was like a wake up call (laughs) with like the competition, but I, I did it. I got in there. And, you know, the business goal. I just felt like my skill set and, like, marketing and, you know, kind of that just what I was feeling, what I was vibing at that time, um, I'm like, I feel like the business was going to be the best avenue for, like, a well-rounded – my my toolbox, whatever I end up doing after, after I graduate. So that was kind of my road to SC.
0: I love that lesson, too, because it's – You know, success doesn't magically occur overnight and your goals, like you have your one big goal, which for you was USC, but it's like you didn't get there just by applying to USC and then you got in and then that was it. It's like, no, you had to have like a backup plan and it wasn't like it had to be insane. You just had to, like you said, keep your eye on the prize and do the work. And if you do the work, you get there.
2: Yeah. You do, and I remember when I got my acceptance letter, I I was so excited. I think it was like a Wednesday or Thursday. It was just like a random night in Santa Barbara, and I and I made like our older neighbor go buy us a keg. Like I had never bought a keg before, but like I didn't even know how to celebrate. I was like, this is so cool. So we totally like bought a keg, and I'm like, why? I just bought a kegger for. It just came back to me right now. But but yeah, celebrating. I celebrated it. I was, I was freaking proud of myself for doing that. I could have easily just partied and said, you know what? This is fine. I'll just, I'll just do this. But I I was so I was so like laser focused. Like, no, I I need to get there. Like that, that's gonna be my next step. That's gonna open up whatever door it's gonna open. But I just I had a feeling like I need to go to SC. So how,
1: what, um, what did you do after college or did you start working while you were in college at all?
2: Yes. So when I was in college, like my last year was when I, um, so at SC in Santa Barbara, my grandmother gave me her sewing machine and it sat on our kitchen table in Santa Barbara for like a year until I started cutting all my pants, um, making them capris. And before I knew it, all my jeans were like to my ankles or to like my calves. It's kind of hilarious. So then, when I got into SC, the fabric district, I was like, I loved going downtown. Like, we would go to the alley with my mom all the time and like buy like tchotchke stuff. And so I knew it was there. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to make my bedding. I'm just going to go full blown HGTV on oh my dorm room. Obsessed. So, um, my, my grandmother's sewing machine, I learned how to sew a straight line and it was nothing to brag about. It was (laughs) pretty, pretty bad, but I just found like a lot of joy in creating and decorating designing. And it just felt like, Oh, like, I don't know. I would, I used to rearrange my room all of a sudden my mom would hear like things falling and I'm like literally moving the bookshelf (laughs) to the, maybe it'll look better. Oh, my room looks bigger like this. Oh yeah. You know, like new picture she's like, what did you do? I'm like, I don't know. I redecorated. I literally would make my room go around in circles because I just, I just love that stuff. So my last year at SC made this little handbag, would go to the bars and go out to the sorority parties and all my, I was in a sorority with like 200 plus girls. The sorority system SC is huge. And everyone's like, oh my God, it's so cute. It's so cute. And then we would have all these costume theme parties um, I made myself a hot dog on the stick uniform. Like, what? You know, it just there wasn't like the Halloween, um, Halloween Aroma or any of those type of stories. I made myself like a schoolgirl outfit. I and then my friends would say, "Hey, can you sew this? Can you make our cute our T-shirts like cute like crop and bedazzled?" So I just would just start creating. And before I knew it, that little bag. I said, "Fine, you guys. I'm gonna set up a table at lunch." If you want to order a bag, place an order, and then I'll get them ready for Christmas. And within that hour, I sold fifty bags, and that was my—I'd done like a little selling here and there, like randomly in high school for projects, cookies, maybe even I sold Girl Scout cookies. But I'd say that was like the—that was like the first time I had made like in an hour a thousand dollars, and that just—it just blew my mind. I'm like what did I just do? And I did it from a sample. I had my bag. I had some fabric swatches out and people just got to pick and choose what they wanted to make and, or to design. And then I did it for them. And that was like a big eye-opening experience because I didn't need, like, I never thought I was going to start a fashion line. I just said, fine, here you go. Like the, the demand. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: It sounds like you you let your customer really tell you what it was they wanted, because you were doing all these different things, the sheets and the decorations and stuff. And you happen to make this bag, and you listen to your customer, right? Like, okay, the bag. people want the bag. I'll make the bag. and you you created your approach out of that
2: so then, um, I did the marketing emphasis in entrepreneurship. And so that last year, I'm basically running a business out of my dorm room. I sold 2000 bags out of that dorm room and doing the, my feasibility class, doing all the different classes that are required for that, um, that minor. And I realized at the end of it, like I had made, I think I made 40 grand that year. And I'm like, well, you know, just like, you don't even realize it. Like, what am I doing? But I was so focused on that. It just became like Every Monday night, I'd go sell bags, another thousand dollars, another thousand you know, just it just became like rinse and repeat, same exact system, same product, rinse and repeat it. and um, but it got to a point where I had to hire someone. I had to figure out, okay, I can't make all these bags. plus my sewing wasn't that great. So I hired this lady. I'd be driving down to Orange County every other weekend, picking up bags, placing orders. like it just it became a little business. and um, the end of college that senior year i just had to make a choice okay what am i going to do am i going to i wanted to become an event planner i was also doing an internship with this uh, that was like my big thing like because i love decorating and i'm like oh i would love to like decorate hollywood events and we did i did like the golden globes i was an intern for these people that just made amazing hollywood parties but then something happened when i was at um we were at the golden globes and i could see the cast of friends on a couch and there's like the sushi buffet, and I like, oh my god, I want a piece of sushi so bad. You know, like I was trying to like sneak little bites. And I, you know, I'm the intern, and I'm like, you know what, Nicole? Like, I don't want to work at these events. Like, I want to be invited to these events. Oh, love it. And that was like, that was my like the the crossroad. You know, do I make a purse company or do I keep schlupping it? Like you know, for the Grammys and, you know, it was super cool and it was Hollywood. And it was super, super fun. Don't get me wrong. But the amount of hours and just that whole vibe of like people like work to death. I mean, I give it credit. Anyone that's like a wedding planner. Um, I did that for a minute when I graduated just, you know, while I was starting my business, but for this other lady. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like I want to be invited. I don't want to be working at this stuff. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to focus on the bags and then that became the swimwear and and I launched Nicolina. That's how I launched it that year. I just said, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go all in.
1: There are just like so many great entrepreneurial lessons in that path. Like even just starting from, you know, you talking about, okay, this system for the bags works. So I'm going to do it every Monday and keep doing it and keep doing it and sticking to what you see as working. And then another lesson and being like, okay, well, my sewing's not that great. So I'm going to hire someone who's a good sewer and keep doing this and like realizing like what are my strengths what are my weaknesses like i'm great at the selling the sewing maybe not so much you know so hiring out and then you know continuing on and seeing the potential like i I think that's such an entrepreneurial moment is saying okay do i want to work for someone else or do i want to work for me it really is that trade-off and you have to just take The leap if that's something that's in your heart as it is for most successful entrepreneurs just taking that leap and a humbling leap
2: a humbling leap
1: you know yes because it's not just like okay i'm going to make that decision and i'm going to go sit on the couch next to jennifer aniston and there we go deal done you know it's it's a leap that
2: means that it's going to be you know a ride Mm -hmm. yeah it was a humbling leap went back home with my parents my office was the kitchen table My dad was helping me screw on handles, like you know. I like I got everybody involved because it wasn't. Yes, I might have grossed forty thousand dollars that year, but it wasn't that I made forty thousand dollars. I think that's like a big misconception because the amount of I think it was at that point when I did my feasibility and like this bag business is like not feasible because you barely make the prices I was selling them at the amount of work, blah blah blah. Like it didn't make sense. So when I did graduate and I'm like, okay, if I don't want to do bags, I'm like, what else am I obsessed with? Like what else is something that just gets me so excited? And I loved going on spring break. If anyone is in college, like that is the highlight, right? Like we work our booties off literally to get in the bikini and go do spring break. And it was just so much fun, like so many amazing memories. And it was all about that bikini for me. And I just with my curvy hips and um, you know, I just would try these bikinis on at Diane's. I remember here in Huntington. And it was like, ah, why is it like pinching my hips? Like, you know, it's so uncomfortable. And I just at that point, I became the frustrated consumer. And what does a frustrated consumer that's creative do? I'm gonna start a bikini line. For sure, because I knew nothing about bikinis. And um just again, like I Created some samples with the lady that was helping me with the money that I did rate or make that last year. I bought this new sewing machine for her and we were able to set elastic. I learned so much in that year. Like I learned a ton of mistakes of like what not to do, but I also learned again, how am I going to stand out in a swimwear industry with hundreds, if not thousands, of brands at that time? And this whole thing about I tied it back to my story. I tied it back as authentic as I possibly could, because I had the problem. I was the frustrated consumer. I couldn't fit. Things were pinching my hits. Um, muffin top. None of us love muffin top. Right. And then it became, okay, well, I want to make like stylish stuff. And then someone asked me, what are you going to call your brand? And I just like, I don't even have a brand. Like, this is so weird. I'm not a fashion designer. So I'm like, I don't know, maybe Nic- Nicole or Nicolita and just the Nicolita. My grandmother called me Nicolita growing up. My mom calls me Nicolita still. And it just it just felt right, that name. and And it just became, again, like I was peeling the onion back to my story, back to my roots. And it was, well, maybe it's about Cuba. Maybe it's, you know, me being inspired, you know, with those black and white photos I had growing. It just, all of that, the branding and the marketing and the story came to life with the brand. It fully came full circle.
1: I love it. With Nicoleta, what was your big moment of like, okay, I'm gaining momentum or like, this is a real thing and I need to scale?
2: Okay. So that year, once I launched it, it was literally, I graduated because I was a transfer. So I did a year and a half. So I graduated December by March, I launched this line. I, I did a fashion show in front of Tommy Trojan and nearly got kicked out of campus <laughs> because the <laughs> girls were showing their booty. So I had to have them all like holding a sarong. And the stage, I had people like the marketing department, um, like they was like a club. They are like, don't worry, we're going to help you with like the fa- the fashion show. They were holding the backdrop with their hands. Like I'm like, okay, you guys don't move because then you're going to see everybody naked by like backstage. So it was just, you know, total grassroots, grassroots shoestring budget. But I would say that year, so I um, connected with the Chamber of Commerce in Los Angeles and they were taking fashion brands and designers to Spain for like a, um, what was this? It was a big trade show out in Spain and it was like an import export Type of relationship to network and market with buyers from Spain, and it happened within four months. So all of these things, like it was, it's so funny, girls. Like the momentum of little things that started to evolve, be just because I was, I got out of my own way. I just was focused on the goal. I'm doing this bikini line. Oh my god! And just things started to appear. The opportunities started to appear. So. Um, I told my parents and coincidentally, of course, there's no coincidences, but they had found out that they had family in Spain that they had never met like these cousins from, I don't know what relative or whatever. So they, in the meantime, they were emailing this people in Spain and I said, Hey, the chamber of commerce is giving us this amazing opportunity. If we can just fly there, we'll get the whole show paid for and all this stuff. we got to meet buyers and maybe I'll pick up, um, wholesale accounts, so they were like, "Okay, let's let's go to Spain this summer." So my parents, we met our family. I did a full trade show in Spain by that summer, so within 6 months of graduating to put it in perspective. And it was funny as when I started dating Philip. So I even I even told Philip, "Come out to Spain. <laughs> like, this is amazing. I'm going to do my show and then we'll go travel." And I picked up like five stores out there and it just, it kind of just like blew, it just like blew my mind. Like, okay, I have five stores, but when I came back, the real problem happened was, okay, now I've got five stores and boutique orders. Aren't anything crazy, you know, 10 pieces here, 20 pieces here. Like it's, it's small. Like that's how boutiques order. So I it was like the summer and I'm in my office. I had had to get an office cause the kitchen table wasn't working anymore. And I just said to myself, Nicole, you can't produce like 50 units and not, and actually make money and ship it all the way to Spain. So I'm like, I need a big client. And I just said, you know what? I want Nordstrom's. I said, screw it. I'm calling them, pick up the phone. (laughs) And I reached the operator, you know, I just called, I think South coast Plaza Nordstrom. I'm like, hi, like, how do I, um, who do I speak to, like a buyer, like to sell swimwear? And she's like, okay, one moment, she, they send me like the swim department. And then I asked them again, hi, who do I speak to, to sell swimwear? She's like, oh no, that's our San Francisco office. So then I get transferred to San Francisco. And then I'm like, okay, <laughs> like I got transferred all over the place. Finally, this lady answered and, um, you know, hello. And I'm like, hi, um, you know, I'm Nicole with Nicolita and I want to sell swimwear to Nordstrom's. I'm like, how, how do I go about doing that? She goes, okay, well, you um, come up to San Francisco and we have a meeting with you. We, you show us your line. And I say, okay, I hung, I hang up. I did like the worst thing. I hang up. Cause I'm like, wait, I have no money to get to San Francisco. I'm like a new brand. Right. So I call my dad and I'm like, can I borrow like a hundred dollars? to buy a plane ticket, I was so and get a hotel room and do the whole thing, right? I needed to get samples. I put together a line sheet. Um I had my samples and call her back. I booked an appointment with her and you know what? I almost missed the flight. That was like a nightmare. But I almost missed the flight, but I got there and I did my USC business PowerPoint presentation cuz that's all I knew. I had my designs, I had my samples, and she was like looking at me like super weird because this was so different. Who else is doing a PowerPoint presentation (laughs) to sell clothing? Again, I had no idea. I just knew more or less what I I, like the ramifications, like fake it till you make it kind of thing. And my first order from Nordstrom's was five stores. It was a $20,000 wholesale order. And I said, okay, with this, I can produce the Spain orders and I can produce the stuff for Nordstrom's. And that was the moment where I'm like, I'm to something. I just got a $20,000 order. Oh, that boldness
1: like gives me chills. I'm like, yes, girl. Yes. The fact that you just, you know, you're okay. Like Nordstrom, this is the, this is the solution here. And I think that something that just so stands out about like your approach is, you know, when you're bold like that, it's like, well, what's the worst thing that can happen? (laughs) What can I lose? I'm just going to say, no, (laughs) you know, and then you've lost nothing. You've lost no money. You've lost, you know, no heart. If you got a lot of spirit and you really want the thing you're going after.
2: And just to see that story. I mean, having people say no to you is a little challenging to get past, but yeah, if there's nothing to lose,
0: you just keep going.
2: And you know, you know what it is? Sometimes I, I even do this now, like, even when I'm sending like a gnarly email to like, like some big wig or actually I'm, I'm pitching, um, I don't know, tentatively, hopefully bringing the sold out launch to USC business school as an elective. I know it's in the works. We'll see.
1: Right. In it's in the universe. now. It is. It is. <laughs>
2: and I'm with the prof- professors like helping me out. One of my professors from, from back then. But, um, but yeah, it is literally that it's okay. What do I need? And it's interesting. And, you know, through all of my fun learnings, right. Of just how our brain works and like what, what gives us the courage, your brain will answer whatever question you ask it. So like, what else do I need? My brain went, Ooh, I need Nordstrom. Like it just, you know, it literally, your brain will just answer the question. It it wasn't like, well, I'm—I don't know what I'm doing yet. Like, is my product good enough? No. Like, I could have asked myself, um, you know, um, you know, well, maybe I need to first do something smaller, like just to get it, like warm myself up. Like, no, I need Nordstrom's. Boom, boom, boom. Picked up the phone. I'm just like Nicole. Just dial and don't even think about it.
0: It's like listening to that gut instinct, and okay. I just
2: let it happen.
0: Yeah. Did you experience any bottlenecks or any major nos or setbacks, and how did you deal with that and keep moving forward with Nicolita? It was I was kind of
2: on a roll for a minute. I was definitely on a roll for a minute because I, I then I picked up Dillard's. I picked up the East Coast for Nordstroms um, all by myself, and I'd go to these I'd go to these events where that you train all of the Nordstroms employees, and it's all the sales reps, and the sales reps are like, "Oh, who do you rep?" I'm like. I'm the owner. (laughs) They're looking at me like the owner should be doing owner stuff, and I'm like, well, you know what? I opened the door for myself, and I, I would say, um, when I started to notice that things weren't jiving, was the moment when I started to try to have other people do the things for me that I don't think I was at the right spot yet. So I tried to hire a sales rep because I felt like, ooh, I need to be more the boss
1: like that's what I should be doing. That's what I
2: should be doing. Yeah. And I, and I think I kind of got in my head a little bit about that. And, um, I just had a hard time finding, obviously you are your best salesperson. You are obsessed with whatever it is you're doing. You are going to, I sold Nordstrom's basically without sending her a catalog at that point. Um, my story, how powerful my story was to get my foot in the door And so we don't really need all the things we need to know what's going to motivate like someone to be like, Oh, I want to talk to you. Like that sounds different. I have never heard of that again, going back to, you know, what is going to make you stand out in a crowded industry of all these people? It's going back to the story of the authenticity. And I think, I think all those pieces were there for me, but the moment I started to kind of look outward, like, Oh, I'm, I need to hire someone to do that. I don't think I was at the right spot to be honest for, with you. Um, maybe I thought I was because I was like doing too many things, but I think I could have, I think I should have stayed more in that sales role a little bit longer because the moment I got back into sales, like it just was very natural. I was trying to find a solution so I could go do bigger things with my brand. But I think that if I was to point it out, yeah, I think that would have been a a moment where I started to kind of feel resistance would
1: you say that a lot of entrepreneurs also run into because i know even with bridget you know when i i went to business school and i was like business school is my opportunity to really like invest in myself my understanding of how i can grow bridget as a company as a brand and as an impact right but then being in classes and everything you learn about, okay, entrepreneurship means that, okay, you need to get investors and then eventually go public and you get get in your head that like, this is the way you need to do things in order to have the opportunity to make something great. And then, I mean, my big learning from all of that was like, all right, if we get to a point where we really need more capital than we can find, (laughs) you know, yes, maybe investors are the right thing, but at an early stage, Unless we're like a software company or we're trying to put things in test tubes that cost zillions of dollars, like actually we're better off not taking anyone else's money. We're better off just, you know, experimenting. and.
0: There's so much you can do with, yeah, with scrappiness and creativity and resourcefulness. And like you said, sometimes it takes like that personal touch to get it to the place that it needs to be. Sometimes it's not about hiring a person just to be in the right quote unquote position and be you know the boss. it's it's more about what you're producing and whether that still stays authentic to the original brand or to, or to your ideals,
2: yeah. I mean, even even with like social media, like I've gone through many stages because it's a lot of work. <laughs> like doing social media and I I take a little hiatus and then I get really into it and but I think at the end of the day, what I found out is even if I try to hire someone, it still doesn't feel like me. And if you're okay with that, like b- by all means, but there's something that I want, like the authentic touch, like the voice. And I just haven't really found someone to kind of do that because it's kind of all in my head. And I, I think it's okay right now, but I've even tried that with like Nicoleta to like hire out companies and, and it, it got the job done and it was fine, but it just felt different it just felt like a little empty. And if you can hold on to it as much as possible, like the important touch points, I think people, um, they feel the energy. If it's a bot or if it's really like a live, a live human.
1: I'd love to talk a little bit about, because I feel like we could just, I mean, you have so many great stories with your business endeavors and everything. I'd love to just talk a little bit about what you're doing right now and kind of how it's been a reflection of all of what you have experienced, what your like biggest intention and your like sky high goals are with what
2: you're doing right now. Yeah. Um, it's been a transition. So when I started Nicolita, coincidentally, I I think within like the first year, my friend's um cousin, they were they were launching and they had just launched a rock star and they had like at least like energy drink. So they were like, we're having a bikini contest and um we need bikinis and she's like oh she's launched the bikini company like ask her so it was like this really like interesting moment where I had I was able to go sell at the event and I did a bikini contest like nothing like no nudes no topless crazy like like Havasu action but it was just like a really cool experience and it led to over 18 years of having private label client request um bikinis model gear it just evolved so my brand um was one thing and then i also opened up another revenue stream of private labels so corporate companies i made the promotional gear like anything stretchy it just people would just kind of find me and i would make stuff for them so it was interesting because even brands would come up to me um people that wanted to launch a brand and i never advertised this they were just like they would either know a friend of a friend and then they said, Hey, she could probably help you all get your samples made or at least put, point you in the right direction. And when I started Nicolita, I was totally in that same place. I wanted to launch this product. I had this idea, this like obsession, like, Oh my God, this would be so cool. Like I can, I can envision the whole thing right in front of me, but I had no idea what was that first step. And obviously I've talked through some of the steps I took, but nobody, nobody gave me a roadmap. Nobody gave me a checklist. Nobody gave me a download of how to get this done. And I always felt that I, someone needs to like write this down. And it's funny because I used to have like this little recorder that I was <laughs> before my iPhone, like on the freeway. I would just record the stories that are happening. And I found it, and I I literally said that I'm like, man, I wish someone would, you know, I wish I would have had like a guide to how to do this because I made so many mistakes and I had so many amazing things also come about but so many mistakes too so that's that was kind of like the beginning of hey maybe i can mentor someone maybe these private label clients not only are having me do production or designs but maybe there's another service there maybe there's a consulting service um because i really didn't know how to monetize like my knowledge into something that somebody would buy like here's my knowledge here's my brain of like all these years and my know-how and how to do it. So the podcast became this thing that I'm like, well, that's a great, I don't have to write a book about this. I can launch a podcast. And I just started telling these stories and these business lessons. And that's on the fast track your fashion brand podcast. When you guys want to look it up, um, and that just kind of became like my outlet. And it was, I didn't really know what to expect. I knew I wanted to talk about fashion and business. That was kind of it. So as I was helping brands on the side. The podcast became my home, my home base for fashion business resources. And then really trying to get an idea of how I can package this and create a program around. And that's what I launched this last year, the sold-out launch formula and then the fast track mentoring. Because it was kind of like not as organized. Like I would help anyone. Yeah. I'd basically do it all for them. But um, that's not scalable. That's that's not me and that's not me being the right leader. I want to teach you how to fish, not fish for you. And um that's kind of where I'm at right now. It's the website, it's Fashion Biz Mentor and it's just really like a platform for somebody who has that idea um wants to know the very first steps. How do you get an idea off the ground? How do you validate an idea without spending thousands and thousands of dollars on inventory that's never going to sell? Um all the lessons and I created a formula and like steps of how to do it. And I, yeah, I help people launch their dream fashion business.
0: It's such an invaluable gift and service and mentorship that you offer because those days, I mean, the beginning of any company is so, it's like the wild west, right? And it's like, unless you have somebody kind of guiding you through it, you really have to kind of bang your head against a wall for a while until you find the right path. So Um, You know, I know you just said that it's just about fashion and business, but I feel like you've created something that's so much more because it's really a platform that empowers, you know, young businesses to take things into their own hands.
1: Yeah, Nicole, I want you to know, too, I mean, I haven't gotten anywhere close to launching a fashion brand, but listening to your podcast is so applicable to all sorts of businesses you know it's like it's specific to the fashion industry but the things that you touch on the ways you talk about navigating each step and you know finding solutions and resources is so applicable to any kind of entrepreneur so highly recommend her podcast and you know we'll share all of her her services and courses
2: yeah it's and it's really rewarding cuz i think if even if someone here was like oh i would love to help you know kind of package their know how and and you could, I mean this world of, um you know packaging your passion your expertise and monetizing it it's you know becoming a digital CEO and it is it's amazing I mean it's I forget I forget what they quoted it at right now like three hundred billion dollar or like within the next five years like where this this industry is gonna head, but there is a very interesting um balance between figuring out what your time is worth which again, if we go back to money and like determining, oh, can I ask somebody for that much money? But, you know, does that equate to how many hours I'd work at, you know, the churro stand or, you know, like how am I an hourly employee? Like all those things like kind of come up for you. And it, it was a big exploration of, okay, well, what is my time worth? Um, How do I do it in a way where it's like a win-win on both sides without giving too much resenting The gift that you're giving because you're working so freaking hard but it's 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 interesting so it's definitely a new world for me like this whole thing but it's incredibly like i think i've found a nice balance um and i love helping people like i love it when i see them launch or they've made a sale or they scrapped their entire idea because they realize this isn't even what i wanted in the first like like just the lessons the money that they would have spent making the thing Versus getting the validation, creating you know creating all the steps beforehand. So it it is really really rewarding.
1: So good. Well, we're a podcast all about and a company all about communication and confidence. So I'd love to kind of dive into um, some of your communication and confidence um, best practices before we um, close out with our fast five. Um, so if you when you're meeting a new person who might be holding a new opportunity for you who might be the person you're destined to meet how do you introduce yourself and what do you lead with usually
2: yeah um which is a great question because i'm in this transition too but i i'm embracing i i look at my business roles are like 80 20 before it was 80% nicoleta 20% dabbling in the podcast but this last year was like my my goal my heart is 80 podcast mentoring 20% Nicole, and it's, it's reflected 100% in my time and where I've gone. But so um, when I meet someone, I tell them my name, I tell them what I do, who I help. And um, you know what? I have this, I have a template. So inside of the sold out launch, I teach signature stories, and these stories become the platform for how to sell without a sample how to engage someone, how to talk about your idea. I think that's one of like the hardest things, you know, we have like when you're in the beginning stages of something big, of like a brilliant moment, launching a product, um, starting a new career, like focusing on what do I want to be when I grow up? What do I want to do? Having a way to explain it, I think is, is half the battle because if you can't articulate what you do or what you want to do. How is anybody going to know how they can help you? So um, I created this little template and it's called your fashion CEO founder story, but literally take away fashion and it's your founder story (laughs) for anybody. And it just starts off with, um, you know, hello, my name is, and I would plug in my name, Nicole DiRocco. I am the owner of, and for this case, I'd say like, I'm the host of the Fast Track Your Fashion Brand podcast and it says we design, but I would say, um, um, you know, it, this is for, um, creatives who have a big idea that want to launch a dream, their dream fashion business. So that's kind of like who it's for and then what they struggle with. So I would say that when we add in what people struggle with, you can ident- instantly identify, is this for me or do I know somebody that needs her help? Because when you highlight what the struggle is, that's where you're then creating the solution. Because I know that someone's having a hard time, you know. So people that struggle with uh, countless hours of trying to figure out how to launch a fashion business by Googling it and they get no results so that, um, I always put a little, so that, so that they can launch their dream fashion business. So that's, and I think that's it's
1: so useful because when you are really passionate about something or trying to start something, when someone asks you like, what's your idea or what are you trying to do? Sometimes that, that big energy of like, this is all that I am to create this thing. can be so powerful feeling and overwhelming that you just, word vomit out you know and you don't know what to start with so maybe this and then this and then this and then someone can't even really like you're a lot and it's great that you're passionate but I don't know how to help you you know and um being able to have that template of like okay let's just break it down into things that other people can receive yeah
2: like for I'd say for the designers that I help um a lot of them they want to launch with like 10 styles and the messaging becomes really confusing because that customer not, might not want all the things, and especially as a new brand, they're trying to find their people. And if their people doesn't even know if it's for them or why why they designed it or what the transformation is, they're probably not. They're just they're going to think, oh, it's just another brand that's launching. Oh, it's a cute brand. But if you can identify who it's for, the the like the why, what what are they struggling with, and the transformation you will capture so much more attention than just saying, oh, it's a, it's a bikini line.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Like it's okay. <laughs> I've, there's like a gazillion
0: bikini lines in orange County, you know, like. It's such a simple way to, to really hone in on the story that you're telling and what your goal is. And it's, you know, it's kind of challenging as simple as it is because I was doing it in my head while you guys are talking it through, but it's such a great practice. Yeah. Okay,
2: I'm an, I'll I'll make one for you guys. I hate to
0: have to start closing us out, but
1: I know you have a sweet little boy who's wanting your attention. Um, as much as we do, but uh, let's hop into our fast five questions.
2: What is your favorite Cuban meal? Picadillo with plantains. Ooh. So it's like it's like a ground meat with sauce and rice and ooh black beans. Yeah. That's that's traditional. Yeah. It's delicious.
0: Uh, what is your morning routine?
2: Um, my morning routine is I try to have a cup of coffee alone, <laughs> with, like no one awake. Sometimes I work out. Sometimes I don't. Um, if I, if I get like an extra 30 minutes and then I just, I go into my like routine, make the kids lunches, make sure I have enough time. Um, to get them out the door. Cause if I get them like efficiently, then I feel I can breathe and then get into my stuff. So I would, I, I love putting on like this kind of meditation music. That's kind of part of my new morning routine.
1: Um, What does your power
2: outfit consist of? I think accessories with any outfit in general, but I'm a, I'm a legging jegging. If that comes in a slack or a jean, I like, can Probably like a fun blouse. Um, Just like the, the – ju- I think like the accessory, like the jewelry, the bag. I think that's when, you know, like get ready. She means business. <laughs>
0: Watch out. What is your favorite book or podcast right now?
2: I loved – like I got into a real big kick on business books and the tipping point. That yes. book I think opened my eyes to, you know, we can we can become anything – and we can become professional at anything after 10,000 hours. And you start to think, what am I spending 10,000 hours doing? And the people that become the, you know, the, you know, the Bill Gates of the world, like what, what he did, like they talk about him. They talk about um, Steve jobs. They talk about all these different, like this amazing violinist. But I thought that was really powerful for me. And also rocket fuel. That was another book recently that I read. And um, it's, understanding the power of if you're a visionary or an integrator and why that's so important in business where, you know, having the balance that you, you could be both, but you can scale yourself to a whole other level when you create that mindset in your business. That was really, really powerful podcast wise. Um, let's see. I, you know what? I'm just kind of like business dork. Like I love like online marketing technique stuff and just kind of gets my mind going. I love listening just to other podcasts in general, just to hear their style. You know, no one taught me how to podcast. It just comes out naturally. I have a little formula, but I just, you know, I, I think it's good to just, if it's in, if you're in that space, like to listen to as many, I'll binge uh, Bridget. And check out some other entrepreneurial stories. Um, but yeah, just to hear like the formula and like, oh, I, I really liked that or I want to introduce that to my podcast or something like, yeah.
1: What would you say has been the most challenging aspect of being a mama?
2: The most challenging? There's a lot. You know, but, <laughs> like, You know, when when you are that, like when you have that other, I want to say like other life, it's like merging the lives together of... The business and my time there. And um like I find great joy in both, but that was a it was a hard transition to have to feel like it's okay that I didn't send out 10 emails today, or it's okay that I didn't record what I wanted to record, or I didn't get back to that person. Like I'm a mom, and obviously that comes first. Um, there's different stages of being a mom, like the newborn stage, like where you're like, okay, they can sleep. But, you, but you're so tired. But right now I feel like I'm in a, I'm in a new stage of time because my little guy goes to school. So I don't know. It's hard. It's, it's
0: evolving. They're going to try to break down the door if they don't
2: get fed. <laughs> it's not
0: we ask everybody the same closing question. Um, you know, at the end of the day, Bridget was begun as a way to reach teen girls and to promote that confidence. And, you know, we found different ways to do that in listening to them. And that's, you know, that's how we've grown and evolved as a brand and, and a podcast now. But looking back on your teen self, what is one attribute that you had but you didn't see the value in until now?
2: I don't know if it's I don't know if it's good or bad. Cause sometimes Philip was like, you gotta be a little bit meaner. <laughs> but I'm a solution based. I feel like I've always been the person that's like the resolution. Maybe that's part of the, let's not stand out. Like let's, let's figure it out kind of thing. Um, I think personally it's worked in my favor because I don't erupt. I don't get emotional if something goes wrong. Um, I'm just figuring out how to accomplish it. It's all I want to do is accomplishment. If it's my fault, if it's their fault, if someone cut something wrong or they printed it backwards, I'm okay. I just, okay, great. That happened, but how are we gonna finish this? How are we gonna, how are we gonna deliver it? How am I gonna just make this better? And I feel like that has helped me because I win more doing it that way. Um, where people want to work with me again, or they just, I just, you know, I'm able to deliver on staff.
1: I love that. I feel like that so communicates you are such a forward thinker, really when it comes down to it. And I think that in all these transitions and stages of your life, you've seen it and you've gone for it and you've kept moving and it's so inspiring. So, it's been a a treat to unpack your story, to hear your heart and your and all of your thoughts. It's um it's been a privilege. So,
0: thank you so much Nicole. Thanks for having me. Thank you, everyone. And that's our show. If you liked what you heard today, please like, subscribe to, follow, and share Meet Bridget with your circle. The best way to help our work here is to rate and review our podcast. We're listening and constantly working to build something helpful for you. Catch you next time.
1: Did you have an awesome time? Did you drink awesome shooters and listen to awesome music and then just sit around and soak up each other's awesomeness?